Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Sound Stories, an inspirational podcast for creative professionals and storytellers who want to improve their lives at home and at work. I'm Stephanie Cicerelli, your host and co-founder of Voices.com. Creative professionals are no stranger to curation. Whether we're assembling playlists or curating interesting articles to share with our audience, we're constantly on the lookout for ways to tell our brand's story through those gems, the gems that we discover and share along the way. Today in studio, we're joined by Amber Lloyd-Langston, curator at Museum London in London, Ontario. And together, we're going to go on a journey through curation, specifically taking a deeper dive into how we tell stories through the objects we gather. It's great to have you here, Amber. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Of course. So can you describe your job as a curator? Now, for instance, how do you go about finding objects of interest and and what are you looking for? Well, as a curator, I do a number of things. Um, So I develop exhibitions for certain, but I also collect objects in the community. Uh, So if we start with exhibition development, say, um, one of the things I have to do is often I'm given a subject. And so then I have to think about what that subject could possibly be, how it should be developed. And then I start uh, looking in the database, trying to find objects that might support the story I want to tell, and then go and actually look into the the vault to search the collections. So, for example, I'm uh, currently working on an exhibition about radio and television in London the history of it. Um, It turns out that Museum London's collections aren't particularly rich in this area. So another thing I have to do as a curator is reach out into the community and say, hey, I am doing this exhibition. Uh, Who has objects? Who has images? Who has stories to tell? There are many things that are wonderful that are coming in, but one that excites me particularly is a tiny little metal button that was given to a sweet little girl back in the 60s uh, when she was on the television show Romper Room. Supported by photographs, so I have photographs of tiny little Mary Jane playing on the set of Romper Room as well as the button that she received that said she was a Romper Room doobie because she was a good girl. She wasn't a don't be, she was a doobie. So she saved this all these years because it was something that was really special to her, part of her life story. And now I can share it via this object. And so it is incredibly precious. Wow. So just to remind us, because not all of us grew up watching Romp Room. I know I did. They never said my name, I'll have to say. Um, But what station, what television station was Romp Room broadcast on? That was on uh, CFPL. Uh, So that's what it was then, Um, which actually was radio station or still is radio station and television programming. It's become, oh, CTV London. It's uh, it's gone through a number of iterations over the years. But it was the actual second uh, private broadcaster, television broadcaster in uh, in Canada, actually. Uh, second after Sudbury and only second, I will add, because they built a brand new studio from scratch. So pretty exciting. Wow. So from what I'm gathering, obviously, uh, when you go about making an exhibition or or curating, uh, you know, an exhibition, you are maybe having a theme that you're thinking of already. Like you just said television and radio. And and that's really interesting. And and for all of us listening, I'm sure that it's a a wonderful topic that no doubt, uh, you know, individuals here are like, oh, my goodness, if my local museum put something together, I'd have something to give them. We have this old microphone from whenever, you know, we have, uh, you know, um, I don't know, maybe it's even a film reel perhaps depending on how far back they go but it sounds like uh, just from the overarching level you have a theme and then you go about finding the objects that will help you to tell a story and that is absolutely correct Uh, sometimes it's so easy 
I actually have struggled with this radio and TV one, to tell you the truth. And I've struggled because initially all I could think of was the technology behind production. And I came to the conclusion that that was just not that interesting. And you know why? Simply because there aren't the personal stories. What I ultimately found to be more exciting and more interesting was the sub-theme I've created within there, which is the role of radio and TV in the community. So what has radio and TV done for people in the community over the years? Here's an example. Um, I'm speaking with various radio personalities, one of them being Peter Garland, who I was on a number of uh, radio stations in London. And he told me about the huge commitment that CFPL um, for at, the, at that time put into Jesse's journey. Um, Jesse Davidson was a young man who suffered from Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Um, we've since lost him, but in 1995, I believe it was, he and his father uh, traveled, did a, a walk across Ontario. In fact, John wheeled Jesse in his wheelchair across Ontario. So I, I wanted to tell that story because CFPL, both radio and TV, supported it, publicized it, helped raise funds for it. It was huge. And I was able to uh, speak with John, uh, Jesse's father, and say, listen, I want to tell this story. Uh, would you permit me the honor, the privilege of, of sharing this story that you had with your, your son? And uh, he said yes. And the object he's actually provided um, that I'm so excited about is a hat. And it is just a little tilly hat, but covered in little buttons from all the places he and Jesse went to. But it was Jesse's hat. So this is a treasured, treasured memento of a son who has now since died. So he basically said, here you go. Don't lose it. (laughs) No, 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 we won't lose it. You know, it's irreplaceable. A Tilly hat without that story, not so interesting. But a Tilly hat with that story, gold. And it's all about the stories as we've we've come to know. So um, just as we go along in our conversation, I was just, just trying to relate this back to anyone, any creative who might be trying to kind of consolidate these vignettes, these stories, kind of images from the past that can help them to bring together an audience. And and for some of us, I mean, like, I'm just thinking this could be a Twitter chat where people are out there and they're all talking about a certain topic and you're basically curating a conversation uh, around a topic. But, you know, like when you have all these kind of like-minded different ideas that are coming together under one umbrella for a museum and it's it's an exhibition and then you have pieces that are there within it uh, for us in other ways it could be something like the Pinterest board it could be um, a Twitter chat it could be even one of those curated kind of stories where you aggregate different things that people have said you know quotes that relate to a certain topic for instance I think that there's something to it. We like to draw upon a pool of inspiration that kind of all relates to itself, but there's there's like something that holds it together. Like it just seems to me that as a people even, it's something that we enjoy doing is saying, I'm really interested in this topic, but I love to know the little stories, the little bits that relate to me that I can pull and find in these various objects. So on that line, um, just wondering if there's anything else that you can share with us about maybe some of the exhibitions that are, are already at the museum. I, I think you had um, mentioned in previous conversations that we've had about an ironing board, I believe. Yes, we have more than one uh, child's ironing board in the collection, as it turns out. In fact, we have two. Uh, 
Now, technically, as a curator, I might think twice about bringing in an object that is already represented in the collection. Um, but you see, the second ironing board that came to us came with an amazing story and all sorts of other supporting items. So again, all about the story. Uh, the first ironing board in the collection, we have very little information in our accession records. Um, so I assume it was a treasure toy that somebody had that they kept because they wanted to be just like mum. But the second one that came in was donated by um, the brother of a little girl who had died at the age of five. Oh. So it came in with um, a little toy handbag that had been hers. It came in with a little toy high chair that had been hers. It came in with all sorts of little greeting cards that had been sent to uh, her parents on Patsy Ann's birth because her name was Patsy Ann. Mm -hmm. um, it came in with a little get well card because Patsy Ann, sadly, had been born with a hole in her heart. Oh. And she was born just a few years too early because not long after her death, uh, they figured out how to fix it. They could fix that, what is now a fairly minor birth defect with, with the way medical advances have gone. But then it also came with a telegram from the auntie saying, I'm coming, I'm coming, mm -hmm. because she got word that Patsy Ann was, was dying. And then it came with all of the sympathy cards. Oh, my goodness. Sympathy cards, all the little floral tribute cards that had come, um, the little ribbon that had her name on it from the wreath. And so now I've got this child's ironing board, and what it stands for is a life too short, but also a mother's grief. Oh, wow. Because these items were treasured, treasured by, by Patsy Ann's mom. Yeah. Uh, she could not let them go. She didn't, never got over the death of her baby girl, ever. Um, she really, really suffered over the years. And uh, when she died, um, it was actually her son and daughter-in-law who cleaned out the house and ultimately donated the stuff to Museum London. And I'm so grateful because, you know, I've been finding the odd gem like that where I'm able to put two and two together about a treasured item, you know. Um, I have an idea in my head about an upcoming exhibition one of these times, and it, it will be about death and dying and grief. And, you know, I found, was able to pair a photograph of a little girl uh, with a dress. And the story that was with the photograph, but not with the dress, was that that little one died. Oh. And so here we have this dress. Yeah, oh, it's just it's just yeah. wonderful when you can put those things together. I was going to say, um, not to, to cut you off there at all, because this is beautiful, um, but I'm imagining that as, because I want to relate this back to everybody, uh, as someone who is working toward, a, you know, curating an exhibit like that, then, um, you know, it, we're not experts in everything. So would you be drawing upon expertise? say from um, a thanatology um, professor of some kind like a, it's thanatology for for our listeners is the study of death and dying um, just thinking that you know sometimes like we have these wonderful ideas and we see a connection we're like you know I want to tell a story 
and I really want to do it right and, and to kind of understand how to frame it even, right? Because if you're, you're putting something together, then you want to know what all those elements are. You want to take them on a journey. And this is what we do in story. We always take people on a journey. So um, have you ever had to consult people outside of the museum? I know you have your own expertise, but, um, you know, has it been helpful for you to reach out to people who are content or subject matter experts in those fields that you want to create curations around? 100%. I, I know what I know, and I know that well, but mostly what I really know well is how to put an exhibition together. I always have to do a lot of research when I'm actually assembling and putting an exhibition together, and that absolutely does involve going out into the community. So I'm doing it right now for the radio and, and uh, television one. I did a show called Let's Eat, all about food and cooking in London, Ontario. Now, to do the historical research on that, to do the sociological research on that, that was all right. That was fine. The, the literature is easy to find. I had no problem. But what made it personal, what made it special and really relevant to London, because I wanted it to be, was the fact that I was able to conduct uh, 23 oral history interviews with various Londoners of different religions, different ethnicities, um, different experiences. And it was actually using their quotes throughout the exhibition to share their stories and their perspectives about uh, food, about cooking, about its significance being far more than just as something to nourish our bodies, but all the, the emotion and the history that's embedded in the foods we like to eat. Mm -hmm. Obviously, when we all go through the museum or, you know, anywhere like a gallery or something, then we're looking up at a work. But beside that work is a description. There's a title. There's the artist who made it. You know, then, of course, there's some context for for why this is here, what it is, um, what the meaning is, uh, just leading them through that that story, that deeper aspect of, of what they're seeing. So when you go about putting the exhibition together, how much time and effort goes into creating those descriptions? descriptions. Do you have to do those? Do they come to you? Uh, and um, how many words are you limited to on one of those plaques? I'm sure there's there's got to be limits. Oh my heavens, yes. Well, at least I try to be fairly rigorous with myself. So let me see. There's a number of questions there. Mm -hmm. um, writing text is always a challenge. It is. Um, depending on the goal you're trying to achieve, um, the message you're trying to communicate, uh, it can be more or less work, really. Um, so if I think of the exhibition that's on right now called Canadian A, uh, a history of the nation's signs and symbols, for me, I wanted a lot of quotes. So I wanted Canadians historically from the past, from the present, to talk about the signs and symbols I was featuring uh, because I didn't want it to be all the museum voice, which is what it is if you don't include any. Um, so then you've got this authoritative museum saying, these are the signs and symbols, thou shalt accept them. Whereas I wanted there to be debate, I wanted there to be questioning, and I wanted there to be almost a sort of conversation with visitors as they engaged with the material that was before them. So it was a lot of research to actually identify the quotes I wanted to get the right, um, well, get the right attitude and tone I was looking for so but it was fun that was not hard it was fun I really had a good time um, now to your next question which is do we have word length yes or at least I, I try and use um, something called a text hierarchy 
Um, should we have a title, which, you know, 10 words, say, an A-level text, which is, ooh, say, 20 words to 30 words. Um, B-level text is about 75, give or take. Um, and those A, title A, B are not associated with objects or um, images necessarily. Uh, then I go to a C-level, which is roughly 60 words associated with an object or um, an image, painting, whatever. And then D-levels. So, which are about 20 to 30. Now, that's a bit flexible, but I find it's very, very important to try to respect those text hierarchies as best I can. Simply, it gets too easy to overwhelm a visitor with text. And they'll walk into an exhibition and they're just totally daunted by the volume of words they're faced with. An exhibition is not a book. You are not sitting down comfortably in your living room with a nice beverage or a cup of tea or whatever the case may be. You are standing with maybe your friend or your significant other or your child hauling at your jacket. You're, you're busy having a social experience. You need something easy. So, for example, within that, I have a sort of rule that I try to adhere to, which is I always start with the object as well. Here you see X. It, and then give the historical significance for it. So, so there's all sorts of rules and regs that I have tried. I try to respect and to and to uh, adopt in my practice. That's interesting. I'm just trying to think of how that could apply even to someone describing a product on their website, or you know, like they're maybe a retailer. They're here is X. You know, this is the couch. Whatever it might be, it's so important that you tell people what something is because. It might not be obvious to everyone necessarily. I mean, some things do appear quite obvious, as we know, um, but but not all. And I love how you said there is kind of like that hierarchy that you're respecting of there's the A, B, C, and D. What's in the D? Like, I, I think I, I can gather, okay, title, subheading, you know, and then a description for context. But, but what do you put at the end? Okay, so I'll just go back. So the A level is really high overarching message of the section, say. Mm. Um, B level gives a bit of the historical background. So now you've done that. You don't repeat. Okay. C level at 60 words goes into a subject a little deeper, but focusing on an image or an artifact. A D level is, is, again, not repeating information already said, but is often just a simple descriptor. In this photograph, you see, um, oh, I don't know, let me think of an example, Johnny Canuck, mm -hmm. a symbol uh, in the 19th century of Canada. That's it. Nice and simple pimple. Uh, another thing I do, just to, to clarify about my, my practice, I, if I give myself enough time, I'm a big fan of something called the Hemingway app. Oh, oh, do tell. Do I tell. love the Hemingway app. You run your text through it and it tells you, ooh, your reading level is at a university level, ah. which is fine if that's what you're going mm. for. But if you're aiming for grade eight, which is something that is usually advised for museum text because right. you're getting a mixed audience, I mean, then, then you know you have to fix. And so it'll tell you, huh, you don't need a 40 word sentence. Okay. You maybe would like to cut that into a couple of ideas, or you have used the passive voice. It's also completely against adverbs. Oh my gosh. Yes, and really? I wondered why. My and then word. I said to myself, uh-huh, why? So I did some research. Okay, why Why do you hate adverbs? Surely <laughs> adverbs are perfectly nice. But then they said, no, usually there is a stronger verb for the adverb. Why say run quickly if you can say sprint? 
Well, that's that's more precise, isn't it? It's though? more colorful. Oh, I know. I, I think I see. So. I was a huge fan of that. I love the Hemingway app. Oh, nice. So there you go. So the Hemingway app, it's it's probably available for iOS and Android. Mm-hmm. If anyone wants to go looking for and that, and you can actually just get it off of Google and use it on your computer. Oh. You just cut and paste your text into it, and it will tell you. Okay. And you can fix it. So this is kind of like the fog index then mm-hmm. as well. So um, others may be more familiar with that where it will again tell you the reading level, you know, oh, this is college level. And, and really, you know, on the web or for general audiences, you want to be aiming for what grade would it be? What grade well, level? Well, we aim for grade eight. And mm-hmm. I think that's not a bad thing for sort of general consumption either because, well, especially if it's say product related, people may be in a bit of a hurry. Uh, they don't need a novel. They're not looking for an academic experience. They're looking for some basic information to help them make a decision, say, if it's about a product. Um, and another thing about websites is, is that uh, managing text levels is really important in that context as well. There's nothing worse than having to scroll through oh, volumes of text on a website try to fit it on one page so that you don't have to hit scroll down, scroll down, scroll down to read through everything. It's too much. Yeah, I'm thinking that we should all take a leaf out of your book. You know, it's less copy, but it's more direct. It, it's more um, actionable. It's it's more descriptive. And, you know, little adverbs, sorry, <laughs> you just find a better verb. Um, but it, it just seems to me that um, it's a learning that we can all take from what you're doing and how we can apply that. So something else that occurred to me is how, um, you know, maybe we don't think about it, but as humans, we definitely attach stories to objects. So, uh, for instance, even in the home decorating industry, locating items with a story or authentic items has become very trendy. Now, how does this intersect with what you do at Museum London? Well, I I think that's an interesting idea. Um, I'm a HGTV junkie, say. So I, I think uh, what I recently saw on one uh, show was that uh, they were redoing a, a, a couple's kitchen and uh, the thing that they worked in was a bit of countertop which had once been um, part of the floor of a bowling alley. And so they, they transferred that and translated it into a countertop. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting because it was personal to that family. I wonder about the degree of authenticity of objects that aren't original to the family who created them. I I wonder then if that isn't just borrowed authenticity and does that really, really count? So I think what's interesting and perhaps more challenging for a designer would be to actually look through the treasures and the mementos and the souvenirs, and they're not the same, that a person has accumulated to find out how they actually tell the life story of a person to make a space really personal because otherwise I I think if it's just things that you've bought from antique shops well that's a real egg beater and I'm going to decorate your kitchen with it well it's pretty but where's the personal story how Mm. does that tell your story how does that make it your personal space right so I I'm I'm a little leery about about that Uh, I'm not to say that you shouldn't purchase interesting new things that can then become part of your new personal story but I think combining own 
material with purchased new material or purchased antique material is is an interesting way to go. Mm -hmm. Which is why all of these personal stories are so integral to your exhibits and why they're successful. Uh, Just thinking about a show that I love to watch, shout out to Drew Pritchard, (laughs) um, Salvage Hunter. So anyway, uh, his objects, he goes out, finds them, manor homes in England, um, Scotland, Wales. He's even gone so far as, you know, into uh, continental Europe to find some of these these wonderful objects. And, And oftentimes they do have stories. So is it possible to adopt a story, to bring it into your your uh, environment? Absolutely. I, I think what you're pointing out is that uh, stories are what we make them. Uh, and objects can carry any number of different stories. We can value things that came from a hundred-year-old home because they're now something that's been salvaged, something that's been saved, uh, something that might have been destroyed, which is now going to live on. And then we can imbue it with a new story, um, remembering where it came from and, and then, and as I say, creating it, recreating it as our own. Um, as for objects that might speak to uh, a business history, uh, even if they didn't come from uh, one particular business that is now featuring them. Certainly, it's a way to show change over time, to show the way doing business has changed. It's it's more than possible, absolutely. And in fact, it, it's not always possible to find every object with a great personal story, but it doesn't mean you're not going to use it. You still have something else that you can tell with it. It's just sometimes those really personal ones can take an exhibition or or any kind of sort of display just up a notch. Of course. No, that's 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 wonderfully put. You know, much like curated content that a marketer would share, uh, curated exhibits that travel can raise awareness of important stories. So do you have any examples of iconic exhibits that have brought stories to the masses? Oh, wow. Well, certainly, of course. Uh, I think we just can think of things like the um, Tutankhamun exhibit that traveled and traveled and traveled and traveled and went everywhere. Uh, I, I think a lot of us can remember having gone to to see an exhibition like that. So we've seen uh, Tutankhamun's mask and, and it's just incredible because what then happens is that you really feel a personal connection with that history uh, that happened so, so long ago. It seems so remote and so unconnected with our own experience. But all of a sudden, you, you see, you realize that this was a young man who lived and he, he died young. And it, it, it's just incredible when that sort of thing happens. Um, I think it happens with, similarly with exhibitions that have traveled about Pompeii. Uh, those ones, uh, I think people are just struck with, uh, by, I would say, um, seeing those uh, encased bodies. It, it's just horrifying. And, and all of a sudden, it can transport you, potentially even better than the film, uh, to to that time and what those people experienced as as this terrible um, eruption happened um, on a, on a smaller level um, I did an exhibition called Peace the Exhibition at uh, the Canadian War Museum that was my major major exhibition in the years I was there and that one has traveled and so only to to a couple of other museums but nonetheless it uh, still was able to take stories about Canada about Canadians contribution for peace farther afield to help broaden ideas about what it means to work for peace and I think that was pretty exciting too. And those are all our own stories. They become our stories. As Canadians, that definitely is. But I'm just thinking, you know, King Tut coming to the ROM or, or whatever it might be. Uh, you know, it, it's almost like he's everyone's. 
you know he belongs to us all because he's he's traveled and he's visited and and we're talking about him like he's alive uh but uh you know like these these kind of traveling exhibits these moments in time uh you know pivotal moments in time and in people who really did make their mark on history they do all in their own way belong to us as a people um now uh, something that i was thinking of too is that you might have heard of this wonderful exhibit but basically dr seuss uh was a wild collector of hats he loved his hats in fact he had lots of hats and at some point his widow had actually put together an exhibit that traveled um i think it was in 2013 not sure uh of his hats from city to city across the u.s so that people could see these whimsical hats that that were either inspired by the art that he created in his books i think there actually was like a cat in the hat hat um but but you know like these are the sort of things that we we create content or exhibits and stories around themes that matter to us and and people that matter to us and so when those can be reached by a wide audience whether it be a story an article you publish a podcast a video uh you know an exhibit uh, a film you're putting together a story that people can access and and become you know just not just a viewer but someone who's actually participating and i think that's really important is that we don't lose a connection that we have to these stories and uh you know to to close it off i just want to ask you amber what are some of the challenges that you face in your job oh oh, any number uh defining a story sometimes can be a challenge um there's so many angles you could often take with many different stories, but uh, whether you're working in a museum, whether you have a store, whether you're working on a website, there's always the question of space. How much space do you have to tell your story? Uh, so I, I have relatively small space that I've worked with um, in, in my time at Museum London, though a few times I've had a larger one, which has been really great. It's been allowed me to go to town a little bit more. Uh, so dealing with space is a huge issue. Um, you know what? Sometimes it can be a challenge to find those objects with the stories. And that, as I explained earlier, was what I'm experiencing right now, or at least was experienced. That's ending now. Happily, things are coming out of the woodwork. Uh, those stories that I want to tell about radio and TV, what are the objects? People say, well, what are you looking for? And I said, well, I don't know. (laughs) I need you to tell me what you have and why it should matter. And you know, that is a big question that I always have to ask, which keeps me on track when I start to stray is, so what? Why should I care? Why should my audience care? And that takes you so far, but I I had a colleague, have a colleague, who tells me repeatedly, Amber, you are not your audience. And so (laughs) I have to always remind myself as well that just because I find a little tiny bit of information super, super interesting doesn't mean it's really required for the visitor to understand my overarching message. So another challenge is trying to stick with the need to know versus the nice to know because it's as soon as you start adding the nice to know or I think this is really cool and you should know it you start writing too much text so identifying the message sticking to the message is always a big big step uh, and can be really hard if you're struggling with a subject to get the message what is the message Mm -hmm. what is the grab what's going to make people say oh I want to see that exhibition it sounds relevant to me to my experience I want to see myself I can see myself in this exhibition simplicity Um, simplicity and yet fairly complicated too another thing I continue to struggle with is to do a better job at representing the diversity of my community 
we don't really have it in the well we don't have it in the collections there's no really about it I'm trying to build that so I'm trying to collect objects that uh, speak to disability living with disability whatever it may be but with those personal stories um, so recently acquired a jacket worn by a young man um, who filled the role of Easter Seals Timmy uh, back in the in the late 60s. Um, so it's a simple little coat. You would never think it was anything special except for it has his story. A boy with cerebral palsy who served as Timmy to raise awareness and funds for children suffering with physical disabilities. So fabulous. Wanting to build on that. Lots of challenges in any line of work, especially being constrained to space. Uh, So Amber, um, if anyone would like to see your curations and the exhibitions at Museum London, uh, you can obviously, if they're from around here, they can come in and see it. It's free to come into the museum. I want to stress that uh, a lot of these uh, wonderful places that we have available to us as artists to become inspired are actually freely available to enter. Um, But, you know, obviously, if you're not here or near a museum, how is it that someone could see what that work is and and maybe be inspired by the great things you've talked about today? That is an excellent question. Um, Unfortunately, our exhibits don't have an online life afterward, uh, which which is a bit of a challenge. But if there's anything that I've spoken of that... um, it does sound relevant or interesting that you'd like to know more about. I have exhibition files. I try and have exhibition photos. I certainly have all the text, the research. I I have it all to hand, and I would be happy to share anything I have that anybody thinks might be useful to them. And anybody who feels like they would like to learn more or if they feel like I might have information that would be helpful, please visit uh, museumlondon.ca. You should be able to find my email address there and I would be very happy to enter into conversation and share what I can. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for joining us on Sound Stories. If you'd like to subscribe to Sound Stories, there are two really easy ways to do that. You can either go to iTunes, look us up there. Really easy, you'll get every episode as soon as it's ready. Or you could go to our website, voices.com slash podcasts slash sound stories. 